Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 62 of Radiance, my Fallout fan fiction. I do hope you've been enjoying this little tale for the Fallout universe that I've been weaving for us all. And as always, if you can like, subscribe, share it wherever you can, or just, you know, leave me some feedback, either fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. Every comment is welcome, and all feedback is appreciated, you know? So... Without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. It's obviously fan fiction, I don't own any of it. It's all owned by Bethesda. And by some, you know, twist of fate, Microsoft, who I'm pretty sure are in the world. Well, them and Amazon anyway. So, without that, let's get on with the show. Chapter 62 Under New Management the cargo Vertibird might not be the fastest aircraft in the world, but it did the job rather nicely of getting the team out of the hot zone that was DC, and onwards towards their next target, which was Chris's hometown. Which, after a quick discussion with Gregory, and some quick close plotting and adjustments, it was discovered to be about a three-hour flight from there. On the way, Wisp and Riss had shared what they had learned about the Brotherhood archives, and what they had he- overheard as well with the group and had made their ears prick up rather a lot in interest. So, there's bird people now, Shepard exclaimed and Wisp nodded. Apparently so, and from what we've overheard, they've been skirmishing a hell of a lot with the Brotherhood, she replied. Sounds to me like these bird people are merely trying to protect their nest from invaders. Their attacks sound territorial to me. Something any self-respecting claw would also do if the sanctity of their nest was violated, Vess said with a proud note in her voice, and all the other claws in the bay were nodding, including Parsa. Sounds like something we might need to look into after we finish up with these enclave muppets, Seven said, leaning back against his seat to stretch his aching muscles. It really had been a couple of hectic days recently, and it was pretty much beginning to take a toll on him physically. Zixi sat next to him, watched curiously, before turning to Seven. He would go looking for them in order to offer assistance, but based on nothing more than an overheard rumour, she said, and Seven shrugged. It's more than a rumour, Zixi. Those were Brotherhood scout reports. From what we're learning about the Brotherhood, it's a lot bigger of an organisation than we first guessed, with many different factions running around, though most seem to operate under the control of the DC Centre, which seems to make sense given them on what I understand they're made up primarily of the remnants of the US military. So them operating out of what used to be the main control centre of the US military makes sense. But in answer to your question, yeah, we would. We're trying to help foster in a new era of human and non-human cooperation and understanding. So if we can stop the two groups from fighting and possibly broker some kind of peace between them, then I think we're kind of under a moral obligation to at least try. This has become just so much more than just trying to stay out the clutches of the Enclave now. Every place we go, every step we take, it just seems to grow in magnitude. We have a very real chance to do something good for this broken world. And I, for one, would rather die knowing that I tried my hardest to make things better than to die at a ripe old age, always stuck with the knowledge that I'm a coward rather than take a chance he was offered, chose to run and hide instead. That I couldn't live with. I'd rather die on my feet with the ones I love at my shoulders and back, 
than in a bed racked with guilt. He said, and all the claws around him nodded in agreement. Visa turned and grinned broadly at Vess. See, I told you my beautiful human had the heart of a claw, he said proudly, and Vess nodded. He does indeed, my beautiful niece. He does indeed, she said, smiling proudly at Seven, before turning and shooting what Seven caught to be a rather hopeful look at Chris, who was still sat next to her, though was now soundly asleep, though to be fair he was recovering from quite extensive injuries, and was obviously exhausted. Seven then turned and glanced over at Shauna and Timothy, who were both gathered around a terminal mounted forward on the bulkhead, just behind the cockpit, as they were poring over the Project Unity manuscripts and instruction manuals. "'Hey, you guys get anything from that thing over there yet?' Seven asked, and Shauna shot him a slightly irritated glance, but she still nodded. "'There's some corruption to the data. In fact, we're having to start piecing it all together and trying to reconstruct it. But that's not surprising, given the age of it. But we are getting there,' she said. "'Glad to hear it,' he replied." Just don't expect this to be a quick study, Seven. This data's pretty damn complex. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't seen genetic manipulation on this level before. It's going to take a while for me to be able to wrap my fucking head around all of this, she said, and Seven nodded. No problems. Just take your time, Shauna. I'm pretty sure Pass over there isn't going anywhere, he said, shooting a glance at the winged claw boy who was sat at the end of the cabin. Not if I have anything to say about it, he's not. With all the non-human girls around here, we need some. We hetero-human girls need some pretty non-human boys to look at, you know. And I honestly thought I'd never heard myself saying something like that. I blame Fluffy Bum over there, Shepherd said, pointing at Malachi before turning and flashing a smile at the startled claw boy, who twittered his wings with embarrassment and then folded them around himself protectively. And it was obvious that the claw boy was still feeling rather insecure about his new appearance, and it showed in his eyes not to mention the fluttering of his new feathers. "'And how the hell is it my fault?' Malachi exclaimed, overhearing the fluffy bum comment, and turning to look while twittering his little mandibles at her, while Wisp scowled over her shoulder from her seat of top, said fluffy bum. "'Simple, because you're an A-grade card-carrying cutie, and Wisp is a damn lucky woman. But you single-handedly, or should I say single-spinnerettedly, opened my eyes to the fact that boys of other races having the ability to be seriously fucking cute. Once that thought started bouncing around in my fucking skull, it just got faster and fucking faster, until I started to seriously look at the world and this group. And that's when I kind of noticed that Ven is a serious hottie as well. I mean, it's like two ends of the non-human boy sexy spectrum right here. One side, you have fluffy, cute and all soft, that just drips soft, gentle, loving... It would make you just want to bounce all over his fluffy bum, not to mention the rest of him, before smothering him in kisses and cuddles. And then you have Mr. Muscles and Scales over there that just makes you think he's going to pick you up, throw you over his shoulder and carry you the hell off to his nest and ravish you. Which, now that I come to think about it, is probably obviously why Gregory always has his face lit up by the brightest of smiles. Both of them are enough to make a girl's heart jump all over the place and her knees go weak. And now we have Passer here. I mean, just look at him. He's all kinds of cute, all wrapped up in the prettiest white scales. And I must say, I've always loved a pretty-ass white boy. Never thought the prettiest one I'd ever see would have a sexy long tail, though. 
and now with added feathers, for all the fluffy and newly discovered non-human girl could ever wish to run her fingers through. So, all the muscles and all the fluffy, in one seriously sexy package. With a son that pretty, it's no wonder Vess is a one proud-looking mama claw. Shepper said, baking both Malachi's mandibles and Spinneret's Twitter with the embarrassment while Ven's tail swished. Wisp first looked shocked very ca- at the very candid conversion before looking real proud and happy by the beautiful non-human she'd bagged for herself and both showed in the hugs and kisses she showered him with. Damn straight. My claw boy makes me go weak at the knees every time he swishes that sexy tail of his. So it's no wonder I walk around like I'm drunk when he walks down the street and I'm stuck behind him, Gregory said over the intercom, making Ven smile proudly. Trust me, my friend, it's a beautiful pain I know well. If my little love spider here didn't let me ride around on his gorgeous bum, I'd have no chance of walking anywhere. He'd be dragging me down the damn street as I'd be clamped onto his sexy spinnerets by my teeth all the time. Wisp said, kissing the back of Malachi's neck and making him flush bright crimson. Vess was nodding away happily and proudly in the middle of it all. Exactly, and you are very much correct, Shepherd. I am a very much indeed a proud mother claw. I have three beautiful children, and I am very proud of my beautiful son. He makes me puff out my chest proudly and say, This beautiful creature, I brought him into this world, and your kind words do you much credit and honour, young one. It pleases me to see that a woman of your kind can see the beauty of the boys of mine. And to the eye, to my eye, my son is the prettiest of them all, she said, proudly puffing out her chest. I agree wholeheartedly with you, Vess, Shepard said, shooting another smile at Passer. Passer was getting more embarrassed by the moment, and both his wings were twittering and ruffling now. I, I, I thank you for the kind words, but I'm not even a real claw anymore. I, I I don't even know what I am anymore. I don't have the right to call myself a claw anymore, Passer said, breaking his silence and hanging his horned head in what was obviously shame and grief. And that's when Shepherd's true colours really came out to shine. She stood up and stomped right down the length of the cabin and dropped herself down on her haunches right before him. She grabbed out, reached out, grabbed his hands and made him jump. In surprise, and he snapped his head up to look in, look at her in wide-eyed shock. Hey, now you listen to me, and you listen fucking good. You hear me? She said, and the shock claw boy nodded and wide-eyed and dropped towards surprise. You have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. You are as much claw as any of your family in here. Sure, you may look different, but can you point to two identical claws in here, please? he said and passed a glance to his sisters and cousins, even to his mother, before shaking his head. No, exactly, you can't. So don't you dare start thinking these pretty wings and these beautiful feathers make you any less of a claw than any of them. You are a proud claw from a noble pack, and I fucking dare anyone to even hint at you being less of a claw within earshot of one of us, because I'm pretty sure once I'm finished boxing their fucking ears, Seven, or most likely a mother, will most likely tear their head, clean off their shoulders and shove it where the sun doesn't fucking shine. So lift that pretty head up and you puff out that sexy chest of yours and you repeat after me and I want to hear you say it. I am Claw, now hear me roar, Shepard said and Passer stammered a reply. Say it, 
Shepherd growled once again. I, I, I am Claw. Now hear me roar, Passer stammered in a quiet voice. Again, and this time fucking mean it, Shepherd said with powerful aggression to her voice. I am Claw. Now hear me roar, Passer said with more energy and it was obviously beginning to work. Again, and let every single one of those fucking doubters fucking hear you. Shepherd said, starting to sound like a fucking drill sergeant. I am Claw, now hear me roar, Passer yelled, before a pride of angry lions that sounded like his kin bellowed out a roar that shook the whole aircraft and woke Chris up, with such a startled look as he looked around in pure fear. After it passed, Passer lifted his head and let loose a roar that shook the whole place all on its own. Now that's more like it. Don't you dare let me catch you speaking like that again. You hear me? You are beautiful. You are powerful. You are strong. And don't you ever forget that. Shepherd said, patting his large thigh. And Parcel looked down at her hand. And then he reached out, lifted her hand before pulling it up. And to everyone's surprise, kissing it and holding it tightly between his both of his much larger hands. Thank you, Shepherd. You have no idea what those words mean to me. So thank you so, so, so much. I don't know how I'll be able to repay you for this, he said softly. She smiled at him. No problem at all, Passer. It was breaking my heart to see such a proud claw by feeling so down and miserable over something like that. You need to be proud of who you are and where you're from. Because in this world, that's all we really have. And that and each other. And that's pretty much it. But, if you really do want to repay me, I'll take a kiss as a down payment, she said with a playful note in her voice, indicating to all that she was joking with him. But to everyone's surprise, the big claw boy moved his hands from her hand and up to her face, taking it in both of his hands. And before anyone could say anything, he pulled her down towards him and planted his lips right on hers. When they parted, Shepard looked just as surprised as everyone else in the cabin. Was that okay? I mean, I've, you know, never kissed before. You know, given the claws don't really do that. It's a human thing after all. But I just tried to copy what I've seen Visa and Ven do with their humans. He said in a rather soft and nervous voice. Shepard's handsome face cracked into a wide smile. Pretty good. Your technique needs a fair bit of work, she said, and Parcel looked kind of embarrassed. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, he began, but Shepard held up a hand to cut him off, and he looked up at her in surprise. I wasn't done, pretty boy, but it's something I'd be very, very happy to help you practice, and a lot more besides, she said with a soft purr in her voice, before moving her held hand up to the side of his face and gently running up the side of his horn making him shiver and he gasped as his wide eyes locked onto her. Uh, uh, are you saying what I think you're saying? he exclaimed, and she grinned and chuckled softly. Polite version is yes. I very much want to be your claw, white boy. Not safe for work, for work version is. I fucking wish I was shorn aside so I could throw that sexy rear of yours over my shoulder and carry you off somewhere. 
so I can get to know every single one of those gorgeous white scales of yours very, very, very intimately. So what do you say, Passer? Want to take a chance on a human black girl who knows a sexy white claw when she sees one? She said, giving him the biggest grin that a human had ever seen. Passer looked like his brain was broken, but he still managed to nod his hardened head rather vigorously, making Shepard chuckle again. And then she turned around and smiled at Vess. Hey, Mama Claw, permission to snog your sexy son's face off and claim those sexy thighs as my new seat, she said, and Vess gave her a massive fang-filled grin before breaking out into a massive roaring laugh. Granted, and thank you for asking. Never imagined I'd see a human with as heart of a claw twice in one day, she said, grinning. Welcome. And thank you for bringing this sexy hunk of claw boy into my life. Best gift anyone's ever given me by a long fucking shot, Shepard said. With that, she whipped around, grabbed hold of Passer's horns and gave him a cheeky smile. Now pucker up, sexy boy, and prepare to find out what a real human snog slash kiss feels like, she said. As Passer opened his mouth to answer her, Shepard darted in quicker than lightning and jammed her tongue straight into his mouth making the startled claw boy go cross-eyed as the all-completely alien feelings and sensation crashed into his heart and soul like a tidal wave. Seven was the first one to start clapping, but pretty soon the whole lot of them followed suit, and even Chris, who was totally new to this whole thing, was clapping as he watched the pair in wonder and surprise. Hell, even Zixie was clapping as she watched the pair. Shepard never even broke the kiss as she slid herself up onto Passer's large thigh and settled herself happily onto his lap, slipping her hands off his horns and wrapping them around his neck in a massive hug, which he returned, wrapping his long massive arms around her slender frame. When they finally parted, she looked into his eyes and he looked like he was drunk, with a big soppy smile on his face. Now that is a human kiss, pretty boy. And you'd better brace that sexy scaly ass of yours for a whole lot more of them. Because now you are mine and I ain't ever letting go of you. Those scale tick things you all keep talking about ain't got shit on how far I'm going to dig my black ass under those sexy white scales. So now, how about you put those pretty, good, those pretty wings of yours to good use and give me the cuddle that's going to make all those other claws over there jealous that they can't give. Shepard purred in Passer's ear. And without a word, he did exactly what she'd asked. Wrapped his re- leathery wings around her, encasing her a pair of them. So now only her head was poking out of the top, and boy was she smiling. Claw kisses and wing cuddles. Now this is the life, she said, grinning at the others as they chuckled, and Seven grinned at her. Claw lover club meetings are every Thursday, and now it's all, as always, it's bring your own claw he said, and she grinned at him like a Cheshire cat. Well, got me one of them now, and damn is he fucking pretty, so count me in, she said, leaning in to rest her head against his shoulder, making their skin tones cast such a beautiful contrast against each other. Vess cocked her head curiously. What is this claw love club, and how does one join? she asked, and Seven snorted a laugh before giving her a big grin. It's kind of a running joke we've got going on around here that involves us finding claw-loving humans and human-loving claws all the time. Though at this point, 
I'm beginning to think we should rename the club as Human Love Club and open the membership to all non-humans. So yeah, I guess it's bring your own human then instead, he said chuckling as he did. Got me one of those now, so I guess I'm in then, huh? Barsa said happily, and Seven grinned at him. You bet your tail you are, he said grinning. Ahem, it's super sexy luscious tail, I'll have you know. Get it right, Seven. Thought you would of all people would have known a sexy claw tail when you seize one, Shepard said, and he laughed out loud before he turned and ran his hand right up Reza's long tail. You bet your ass I do. And this one right here is the sexiest and most luscious of one of them all. Seva said, lifting up Visa's tail tip to plant a kiss right on it, making her blurt out a surprised growl as she wasn't exactly expecting it. That man right there knows how to love his claw, Vess said, and Visa pulled him right into her lap and just about wrapped her entire self around him in one go. You've got that right, she said, resting her head atop of his. I hope I will get the chance to join this club one day soon. Vess said, and Seven spotted the sideways glance she shot at Chris, who was staring off at Shepard and Pasta, and was totally oblivious to the attentions of the big alpha matriarch Claude right next to him. This group is absolutely fascinating, I must say. It is pleasing to see a group that is so at ease with their emotions. After two hundred years in that pod, I have seen many things, and I have felt so many groups pass within my range. But this is the first time that I have ever seen a group like this. Zixi said, turning her large head from left to right, as she watched the proceedings taking place in the large cargo area. Well, thank you, I guess, Seven said, smiling at the little alien. Well, given that you have answered one of the burning questions of humanity by simply being here, so here's another one. How did you end up here? Wisp asked. I was part of a mining crew. Our ship was in the outer edge of your solar system, mining the asteroid for minerals to sell at the large mining consortiums back home. My crew were a group of freelancers, as you humans call them, meaning we worked for ourselves and answered to no one. But good as our ship was, we weren't exactly expecting to get hit by micrometeorites the second we lowered our energy shielding to bring aboard our extraction pods. It completely shredded our drive section and killed three of my crew, were working in that section. It vented the atmosphere and destroyed our engines pretty much completely. The reactor began to go critical, so we had no choice but to make an emergency landing on this world, given that it's the only one habitable in the system, and that went about as well as you can expect given we had nothing but landing thrusters left. Failing power, no energy shielding, and we're already missing three of our engineers. So yeah, we hit hard. Killed everybody except me. Zixi said, sounding very saddened. I'm so sorry for your loss, Wisp said, and Zixi shook her head and waved a little hand. It's fine, honestly. I've had over two hundred years to get over it, and being that stuck in that pod gave me nothing but time to think. They put me into some kind of metabolic stasis, but I don't think they took into account the strength of our neurology or our psionic abilities. So while my body was effectively shut down, my mind was very much awake and was free to wander and work. I saw the bombs fall through the eyes of the people who lived through it. And I have never in my life seen such pain and such horror. I never imagined that I would be present at the moment that a species essentially tried to destroy itself. It was a truly terrifying experience. And I hope I never see something like that ever again, 
Zixi said. That makes two of us, Faith said, leaning forward in her seat to get a better view of the little alien girl, who looked back at her and nodded. It must have been truly ter terrible for you to live through something like that, Zixi said, and Faith simply nodded. I actually remember watching the bombs falling upon us. I actually remember looking up and saw it coming down right on top of us. I remember thinking, so this is it. This is how my short time on this little world of ours ends, in a flash and silence. But I got the flash, and before the roar of the explosion hit, I remember the screams too. I think they're as burned into my soul as the rads are into my flesh, Faith said sadly, and Zixie nodded. I know exactly what you mean. I never in my life imagined a whole species screaming in pure terrace and in pure unison. But I heard it. It was a fear so powerful it travelled right the way around the world, like the shock waves of the blasts that followed it. And I felt it. All of it. Zixi said, and Faith's eyes went wide. Oh man, can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like. It was bad enough hearing it. But that... Fuck that, she said, and Zixie nodded. Agreed, and it will remain with me until the day I expire. But, on the bright side, it also gave me a new lease on life itself. It made me realise that life is such a fragile and temporary thing. You not only need to live it, you need to enjoy it. Because otherwise, in a single blink of an eye, or a flash of light, it might just be gone. And then you'll have an eternity to realise that it is just gone. So I'm going to live. And I'm going to enjoy what life I have. And now thanks to you good people, I get that chance. She said happily. I'm sure if you ask him nicely, I'm sure Seven here will set you up with a nice human boy. Or even a non-human if that's your flavour. Seems that human and non-human love just seems to blossom like moot fruit under a summer sun around this guy. Oh, I suppose when you see a human guy dating a claw girl and you see just how happy they are and how happy they make one another, you start to realise that anything's possible, really, Spectre said, leaning back in her chair and placing her arms behind her head. Shot a kind of jealous smile at Shepherd, who was still sat smugly on Passer's laps with his white wings wrapped around her and by the lumps that were moving under said wings, his arms were wrapped around her too. Zixi looked around at the group around her. Yes, I do see that. I can also feel the respect you all have for him, and indeed them as a pair, really. You all look for him for inspiration and as an example to follow. It seems that you all work very well together. I find myself very impressed by what this group has already achieved and what I have seen you do back in D.C., but from now what I see in your memories as well seen such beautiful things and after 200 year dry spell well as dry as being stuck in a pod filled with liquid can be anyway i do believe that is something i might be rather interested in seven does seem to have a rather unique talent for rooting out good open-minded people from those among who would not only turn you away aggressively but try to exterminate you for being different you pluck those roses from a world and nurture them Watch them grow and bloom under your care. And it is beautiful, she said, smiling shyly, as she seemed to realise what she just admitted, that she would be rather interested in an interspecies relationship with possibly a human. Well, uh, thank you, Zixie. That's, um, 
very kind of you to say, I think, Seven said, flushing and feeling his skin warming. And you do not take praise very well either, do you? It's one of the things I actually rather like about you, Seven. You're still rather humble, despite what you've actually managed to achieve. And I strongly believe what you will achieve, she said. So, um, changing the subject, what's it like on your homeworld? Seven said quickly, and Zixie smiled at him again. Very militaristic. The only way to avoid being drafted into the military is to go into space when you come of age. You have two choices. Either be free, leave your home, go into space, and never come back. Which, eh, it's not exactly brilliant, but it's better than the alternative, which is get drafted into the military. Serve a term, minimum term of five years in the military, which, given how aggressive my species government usually is, and results in some war with one species or another, is not exactly a great choice if you know you like being, you know, alive, Zixie said with a hard bit of note in her voice. Sounds like your species and ours and has rather a lot in common, Shepard said from her happy perch on top of her new man's lap, as he seemed to have developed a fascination with her dreadlocks was trying to flip them up gently with his horns. More than you would believe. The only two major differences here is the biology and technology levels. Well, I genuinely believe that if humans hadn't nearly destroyed themselves, they most likely would have ended up like my race. But given the choices available, that's why I chose a life in space. And now here's the kicker. Thanks to my choices, I'm never allowed to go home. In order to be a card-carrying citizen of my world... You have to allow yourself to be drafted and possibly die in one of their endless laws. But at least freelancers like me are allowed to trade with the home world, as they like the benefits of our labour, but won't let us set foot on our own soil, which, you know, gave us life. But such is the price of the li- my choice. And I'm fine with that. I made my peace with it a long time ago. This is my life now, and I'm going to live my life the way no one's going to tell me who or what to be. I choose that for myself, she said with a rather defiant note in her voice. Good on you, girl, for knowing your strength and your worth, Joe said, nodding her head approvingly. Exactly. And I believe my best bet of seeing the best life I can get right now is with you fine people, so I'm going to stick with you and do what I can to help, she said defiantly. And done. Hey, this came out really nice. I'm proud of this. Malachi suddenly exclaimed and they all turned around and they saw him lift up a rather form-fitting white silk set of pants and a blouse as well, as well as what looked to be underwear made from pure silk that he'd been making and weaving and he'd stitched it all from scratch, all in the time that they'd actually been in the air. Holy shit, wow! That's beautiful, good Malachi. Damn, Wisp. When we finally get a chance to stay in a place for more than a few days... You're going to be like a wasteland supermodel or something, supporting the very finest arachnikai-made fashions, Shepard exclaimed, seeing the garments. Wisp beamed proudly and nodded as she looked, saw the look of surprise and joy on Zixie's face as Malachi handed over the freshly made garments. Trust me when I say this, I know exactly how talented my beautiful man is with his hands, though I still maintain the best suit he actually owns is his birthday suit. Definitely a sexiest, Wisp said, making him both blush and twitter both his mandibles and spin rats in embarrassment as a few of the others chuckled at it. Thank you so, so much, Malachi. 
No one has ever given me a gift like this before. These are truly beautiful, Zixi said, beaming brightly as she held the garments against her body. And the big Arachnikai boys handed over to her. You're very, very welcome. Couldn't have had you walking around in naught but your bare skin. It's not right. A lady should always have her dignity. Wish I had a dyeing kit, though, to bleed some colours up for it. I'll say white silk is going to be a bit of a nightmare to keep fucking clean out there. But you know, give me another half an hour and I might be able to make some shoes for you. Pretty sure I've got enough heavy-duty leather and maybe some rubber and maybe even some heavy cotton left over. Hmm, might be able to make you a coat. Got to keep you warm. Going to get pretty cold where we're going from what I understand and I don't know how your species handles the cold. But, you know, not everyone around here has heated power armour or an inbuilt fur coat like this, you know. He said with a smile, tapping his backside. It does get very cold up where I'm from, Chris said, nodding. And Malachi nodded and pointed at him as if he just made his point for him. You don't have to go to all that trouble, Zixi said, and Malachi waved that concern away. No trouble at all. I love creating clothes. And trust me, when I get to have five minutes to breathe and get my hands on some dyeing tools and some materials... Just you wait and see what I'm going to be dressing my beloved Wisp in. She's going to be the best dre- best dressed robo-cloud girl in the wastes. Just you wait and see, he said with a large grin. As it turned out, Malachi had been managing to cut some pieces of old tyres as they'd been going along as he'd found them along their path. While they sat around and watched him, the young Arachnikai measured Zixi's feet and then proceeded to cut and stitch some that and some leather as well as the vulcanized rubber together before turning the pair into some surprisingly beautiful and functional pair of all-terrain shoes, that he then began proceeding to work on a coat for her, just as he promised, and he finished it only ten minutes before Gregory called out the ten-minute ETA warning. They put the vertebrate down a safe distance from the settlement, as to not be noticed. Thanks to the terrain, it was surprisingly easy to hide something that big around here, as it was full of small hills and valleys filled with trees and other forms of vegetation. So it was pretty easily keep it concealed from frying eyes, and the echoes of the valleys would diffuse the noise the large aircraft made as they came in low and slow over the, over the terrain. made it very difficult to locate the direction it had actually come from if you did hear it. It also helped that it was dark when they put it down. Damn, looks more like a garrison than a settlement. Seven said as the group were laid down in the lawns, the large rocks and grass of a large hill that overlooked Chris's settlement, which was obviously once an old farm town that had been reinforced and surrounded by what looked like metal siding. They'd even set up watchtowers on all four corners, and they could see enclave personnel milling about. Seven could also see the farms dotting around the hills opposite them, and that's when Seven noticed something on the opposite side of the valley, sitting atop the hill opposite them. Hey, check it out. Looks like one of our fernal friends is up taking a look. Seven said as his night vision picked out the shape of a rather large claw hiding near a patch of trees. He appeared to be picking something up from the tree line. Looks to me like the farmers are still feeding the claws. That's a bundle of mole rats and what looks like a couple of Brahmin legs. Wisp said, rise zooming in to give her a picture perfect image of the large claw collecting the hidden bounty before turning around and scurrying back to his nest with his prize. Well, 
I'm glad of that. Those claws have always helped us. And there's some pretty nasty things that roam these hills. They help to keep them away from the settlement. I'm glad the Enclave haven't hurt them or chased them off. Though to be fair, they're pretty damn good at hiding. And I know the people down there wouldn't sell them out as they've never hurt anybody. And it would be really bad and sad if they were allowed to kill them for nothing more than just trying to live. In fact, I remember a couple of years ago we saw a big mama claw with at least six baby claws. And she was teaching them to hunt. And they were all going after this big rad scorpion. It nearly got one of the baby claws. And the mama tore its stinger off and stabbed it through the head with it. Chris said, trying to see the claw. But thanks to the darkness of the night, he was effectively blind. Except for the light of the settlement, anyway. Never doubt the resolve of Claw Matriarch was protecting her hatchlings. She would tear through anyone or anything and tear them apart that stood between her and her children. And woe betrayed anyone that tried to hurt them, Bess said proudly, and Chris nodded. Trust me, I believe it, he said, nodding. All right, people, we're going to need a plan. I think those claws would possibly be a good place to start. So I think we're going to have to divide our forces again here. If the claws among us try to get their feral brothers and sisters on board, while well, we try and figure out a way to dig the enclave out of there. But for now, let's head back to the Verdebird and get our heads down. I think we're going to need to be rested up and have clear heads for this, Savin said. And with that, the group turned and headed back down the hill to where they'd hidden the bird. This was going to be a tricky one to sort out without anyone getting hurt anyway, and there really were a lot of innocent people down there. It was chapter 62, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, are they going to be able to get the farm people out all right? Where are the, the claws hiding? And how much fun is Passer going to have with Shepherd? Going to be only one way to find out the answer to those questions. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying... I'll see you next time.